Well, good evening. I hope you're all well. Isn't it cold? Oh, I've been freezing today. It's dreadful. Mind you, last night, it was quite a laugh, actually. I, I went on a stag do last night. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You'd have seen me. Half past ten, down Prince Wells Road. I have to say, on the way to my car to go home at that point. But I went on the stag do, and we had a lovely time. And they'd been go-karting in the afternoon, which I called off on. And then, but we went for a lovely Indian meal, and it was great. But the best, the highlight of my evening, which made me feel good about myself, because everybody else was so much younger than me. You know, my son was there, my future son-in-law was there, and there was all these other young people. But we went for a drink in this bar, and then we walked down Magdalen Street to have a curry in the... Uh, Ali Tandoori, I'd recommend it. The food was lovely. And we walked down there, you see. We got a little way down, and it was so cold, and the wind was blowing. And I had my overcoat on. <laughs> Very sensible. And I walked down, and I was pulling up the rear, as you do when you get a bit older, because they're all in a hurry, aren't they? And suddenly they all turned around, nearly on mass, and went, Look at him, the old sensible one. <laughs> but I was offered 20 quid for my coat. <laughs> on the way down to Magdalen Street. Uh, however, I did go home after we'd had our meal and um, I did something I haven't done for goodness knows how many years, which was walk down Prince Wells Road. My friends, we have some prayer needed for our young people. You know, our young people are good people. There's a lot of good people. And I'm convinced after all these years the real problem is the alcohol and the drugs which I was in this, in, in this Indian restaurant and there were people in the toilet when I went upstairs taking drugs. Isn't it sad to have a good time sniffing cocaine, you know? I got home and, uh, yeah, I was quite upset by it, really. Shows you how upset I was. I didn't watch Match of the Day. <laughs> anyway, enough of that. Um, Terry, thank you very much for your update earlier on. It's really good to hear about that. It reminds me, actually, when I was younger, and many of you may remember it as well, Sunday evenings, half past five time, there used to be a cereal on, didn't there? It was always something like Dickens or one of these things, or like Lorna Doon. And I miss those things not being on for that half an hour. But Terry, now I have yours to look forward to. <laughs> Every Sunday evening. The Terry Baxter cereal, which will be absolutely great. Yeah. I want to tell you a little story. You probably think well, you told us enough already. But I do want to tell you a story which relates to what I want to speak to you about tonight, which is from the verses that Mark read. And it's a story about my son. I've got so many stories about my son. He behaved himself last night. I was very surprised. And, um, but this was when he was a young boy. He was about 14. And priests will know this story. Well, indeed, I have told it before. So one or two of you may remember it. Forgive me if that's the case. But here it does relate very closely to what I want to speak about. And uh, Tom, as I said, was about 14, and he used to come from Framingham Mill School down on the bus, and he would get off at the, in our village at Stoke. And um, after a while, this particular year, there was a lady who lived opposite the primary school where he got off the bus, and we got talking to her, and then we got to know her, and she had two little girls. But she struggled every week to get there to pick them up from school, or I say every week, uh, the days that she worked during the week. So out of the blue, she seemed to take a, a real liking to Tom. I couldn't understand why, but she did. And she said, would Tom mind picking the girls up and looking after him for an hour until I get home? So we said, well, we don't mind if you don't mind him doing it. So he duly agreed, and of course she paid him for it, which uh, made it even better for him. And, um, but one of the little girls was a real terror. 
I loved it a bit. She was a real terror though. And one afternoon, he turned up home afterwards and we all sat down for dinner and he was in a foul mood. Absolutely foul. And we couldn't get a word out of him. And he was sullen and and we just thought, well, whatever's going on here? Whatever's happened? So we kept asking him questions about what's going on. And he suddenly turned around and he said, I'll tell you what's going on. He said, I'm really fed up and I'm cheesed off and I don't like myself. And we said, why have not? He said, because I did something today and I sounded just like my mother. <laughs> and we said, well, what happened? He said, well, this little girl got into the house and went there, we were playing in the garden. She got upstairs and she started throwing things out of the window. And he said, stop doing that. And she just kept doing it. So he ran in the house and he got her and he said, look, you can't do this. Come downstairs. And he brought her downstairs. And suddenly she turned around, something that children often say. And she said, you hate me, don't you? And Tom, bless his heart, said, no, I don't hate you, but I hate the things that you do sometimes. That's what his mum used to say. What she would say, really, was I don't like the things that you do sometimes. But he used the word hate, and I'll never forget it, because I remember my youngest daughter, Martha, going, oh, he said hate, you know, you know, which is a word we try to encourage the children not to use, obviously. Hate. And I was thinking about that, well, I suppose yesterday, really, when I was thinking about Tom coming. And I just remembered that story because I'd been looking at these verses, and I suddenly remembered bringing up the children, and as I said, discouraging them from using the word hate. Because it's such a powerful word, such a nasty word, to turn around rather than saying, you know, I don't like them very much, I hate them. There's a real difference in tone, isn't there? There's a real strength in that word hate. Strength in a bad way, but it's there. But we do say it sometimes, don't we? We, we all say it, you know. Oh, what did you think of that film? Oh, I absolutely hated it. And we don't think about it. Now, in the sense of a film, maybe it doesn't matter that much. Maybe a book you've read or a television program you've seen, which is maybe not to your taste. You say, oh, I hate that. And we don't think anything of it. But it is a very strong word to use. And when we use it about what people do and about people themselves, maybe we need to stand back and think twice. But I want us to take a look at this. And I want to take you uh, into John's Gospel. I've been reading John's Gospel the last few weeks. And I hadn't come to this point yet, but I was skimming ahead. In fact, what made me skim ahead is I I have the habit of highlighting things. And I got to some pages before and suddenly this highlight has started to become transparent. I thought, oh, whatever was I highlighting? And my eyes fell on these words in verses 18 through to 27. And this particular passage actually comes from a much wider set of passages. In fact, a wider set of chapters. Actually, back, back to 14 to 17. And it's the Passover meal they have. Jesus and his disciples. And as I started to think, well, hold on a minute, I'm reading this. I need to put it into context. So I started to flick back to where does it start? And I went right back to chapter 14. And then as I read it, and I had to carry on as well, I got right the way through to the end of chapter 17. And you realise it's 14, 15, 16 and 17. Jesus doesn't stop speaking. He doesn't stop speaking. Well, that's not quite true. He does do some praying in that time as well. But it's an immense set of passages and chapters. And as I started to think about it and explore it a bit, I asked myself the question, well, what is actually going on here before we even get to that one set of verses? And what's going on here is something very powerful, very important. 
It's a particular point where, as you know, as well as I, in fact, we've, been, we've just been through that period of Easter and the Passover, where Jesus comes to the point he knows the end is nigh. The final sacrifice is going to take place. And he's got these 12 people who have followed him everywhere, and indeed others as well, but these 12 disciples who he loves dearly and have been his biggest supporters, <laughs> sometimes his biggest trouble as well, you know, as it can happen. But he's there and he thinks, well, I'm not going to be around much more. They've learned a lot, I hope, but there's so much more they need to know. And in particularly now, when I'm not going to be here, they need strengthening. They need strengthening. And so he takes them through this whole series of statements, if you like, or discourses. I mean, I just looked it up a little while back, and I found that they actually, I didn't know this, they called it the Farewell Discourse. Did anybody know that? Yeah, some of you must do. I, uh, the Farewell Discourse. Or, uh, for me, it's a statement of information that he decides to give them after the conclusion, or while the supper's going on afterwards as well. But I actually think you have to go back even to chapter 13, and I'll just read this to you. Chapter 13. And um, at the beginning of there, he says where they just get together and the meal starts. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Yeah, isn't that wonderful? He loved them to the end. The end was coming for him, and he loved them to the end. He wasn't wrapped up in all of what he knew he was going to have to get through, so the disciples will have to fend for themselves. You know, I've done as much as I can. I know what's lying ahead of me, and that's enough for me to deal with. He didn't forget the people who he cared for and loved, and who mattered to him, his followers. That says something about Jesus, doesn't it? Something really powerful. So he takes the time in these five chapters, and you know, a lot is going on. I'm just going to read you this, and then we're going to get on to these passages. In this five chapters, there's four key things that he does, which is so important. He offers encouragement to them, and to us indeed, because we need to see ourselves as part of this, encouragement. He offers understanding, he offers hope, but he also offers warnings. But he underpins everything with prayer. Everything with prayer. And in all this time, this is what he actually does. I mean, it's, it's immense. He washes their feet. He predicts his betrayal. He predicts Peter's denial. He comforts them. He reminds them again that he's the way to the Father. He promises the Holy Spirit. He illustrates the connection they have to him as the vine and they're the branches. And then also from that, he reminds them of the work of the Holy Spirit will do when he comes. He encourages them that they will find joy. And even after he's gone from them, he then prays for them himself and all believers. And in that, he then also warns them about this hate. I mean, that's so much to take in, isn't it? I read these passages and I was exhausted. And I kept thinking about these poor disciples sitting there thinking, how are they going to take all this in? But one of the most dramatic parts is this set of passages where he turns around and he starts to talk about hate. And as I was reading it, I thought, you know, we can't forget it. Sri Lanka was on my mind last week. But not just Sri Lanka, all these other occasions where Christians have been attacked. So I did some research, and I started looking back and thinking, well, this is not new, is it? It's not new. It's not a modern phenomenon by any means. But what has happened? And I've just picked out some of the key things. So if you go back, right to the time of the early church, if you think about Jesus himself, his persecution, his disciples' persecution, 
And then as the church expanded, the Christians who were persecuted, when I was looking through there, there were 10 great persecutions from AD 100 to 300, as Christians gathered from all over the world and started to converge, particularly on Rome. And 2 to 4 million people died there as a result of persecution. 2 to 4 million! That's quite incredible. And then we move on, and in the Dark Ages, 50 million Christians died through the Dark Ages for their faith. They were persecuted by people because of their faith. It was either by people who were non-believers, but even some fellow believers, as the church started to separate and split. And we know our own history in this country, and what happened during the time of the Reformation. People were persecuted. When the communists seized China, I did know this one because I'd read about it. One million people were slaughtered because they followed the Christian faith. But still, Bibles are being read today and the church is expanding. There's hope. There is hope. Do you know, Christians are nothing if they're not hardy. Yeah? And even stubborn. Yeah? And that's something to be proud of in that context. We are not going to be beaten. We are not going to be beaten, no matter what they do to us. You knock us down, we're going to get back up again. The church will continue, will survive. All of this is happening across the globe, and as I've said, we have the bombings in Sri Lanka. And I put down here, this came to mind, the winds of persecution are only fanning the flames of revival. I had somebody say to me a few weeks ago, when they were talking about persecution, no, I say a few weeks ago, no, it wasn't, it was a week ago, because uh, I was here at the church while the conference was going on, and we were talking about persecution, with, uh, two or three of us were sitting there and talking about it, and they said, you know, I even have, one guy said to me, I even had non-Christians come up to me and say, this is not right the way Christians are being persecuted, the way that people dislike them or even hate them, it's not right. And we all thought, well, you know, yeah, he said, yeah, that's right, it's not right. And he said, there must be something about you people. That's encouraging, isn't it? Now that's the encouraging bit. Not that he recognises the wrong in all what's happening, but he actually is seeing that there's something about Christians. There's something about you people. I think that's amazing. It really, really is. So we've got these people who hate us, clearly. And uh, gosh, I hope there's not many of them. You know, I really do. It's not nice to be hated, is it? I looked the word up. Do you want to know what it says in the Cambridge Dictionary? Yeah, it says this. It's an extremely strong feeling of dislike. Extremely strong feeling of dislike. I can about deal with that, you know, as a definition. That, that sits comfortably with me. But then I looked at some of the synonyms that are used. What about these? Do you realise that those people who hate you... And there are those people out there, we know that. We prayed about India. There's some hate in India against Christians today. And there must have been in Sri Lanka last week. There's some hate. They actually abhor you. They detest you. They loathe you. They have nothing but contempt for you. They want to antagonise you. They want to pour scorn out on you. You repulse them. And they actually have no use for you. That's what it means when it talks about hate. That's what Jesus is talking about. There are people here. The world hates you. Keep in mind that it hated me first. And we see that, don't we? We know that people poured out scorn, contempt, loathing on Jesus. And then it seems just continued. God, you must be getting a bit depressed now. Yeah. 
I thought they wouldn't raise a laugh. Because it's serious business, isn't it? It's serious business. And we're in the front line. We're in the front line. This is lovely Norwich, in the middle of a beautiful county of Norfolk. Relatively peaceful place. It seems to be a place where so many people want to come and live. But outside these doors, there are people who not just ignore us, or wish we'd go away, maybe, at least. There are people who actually loathe us. Who have nothing but contempt for us and the word of God. We don't know who they are, because unfortunately, sometimes they're not bold enough to say so. It's said behind closed doors or in their hearts and minds. Though it sometimes does manifest itself in action. At the moment it seems that most of that action of hate towards any faith seems to push its way towards the Muslim faith. And indeed we hear recently about the Jewish faith again being persecuted. So there's also something in there about faith. But I want to focus on us tonight without being self-indulgent. Us as Christians, followers of Christ. Followers of Christ. What is he talking about here, and what does he say to the people? I'm just going to take you through this. I've broken this up into three passages. I'm a good Baptist. Yeah, everything comes in threes, doesn't it? Okay, three. Let's just have a look at verses 18 to 21, if you've got your Bibles with you. Okay. What's it talking about here? Well, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Well, we know that. We see what happened to Jesus as he was carrying out his ministry. In fact, even before that, when he was just a babe, Herod hated the idea of losing his, fo- his throne, so he hated the idea that there was anybody out there, including Jesus, so he had all the babies killed. And Jesus had to flee, a refugee from his own country. It's hate that pushes people out of their own country very often. Persecution and hate. And that's what happened there. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you not belong to the world but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. They hate us because we are chosen and we made a choice. (coughs) We were chosen by God. And he called us and we made the choice. We said yes. We said, Lord, I love you more than I love this life and this world. And I'm going to put my hand up now and say, that's not always been the case for me. There have been times when the world has had more attractions for me than Jesus has. That's shameful, and I'm not proud of it. But we all go through moments when life gets hold of us, the world gets hold of us. We're influenced by what's going on if we're not careful, and we can slowly move away. But we were called not to be part of that world. I felt it last night. I really did. I had a wonderful time last night. I I had a wonderful time. But when there were moments when I sat there, And there were two or three young lads, and their language was blue. And I actually said to one guy, I said, tone it down, mate. We're in a restaurant, there's lots of other people about. And he looked at me with absolute contempt. The only reason he didn't say anything, because I was older probably, and I was Jason, who is my future son-in-law's future father. I feel it, I could see it in his eyes. And I felt uncomfortable. I felt uncomfortable with a little bit of the banter that went on, which at times became a little bit sexualized. Yeah? I felt uncomfortable. I realized last night, I'm not of the world. And I think I've got to take an even harder look at myself, because maybe there's some stuff in there that still needs dealing with. 
But at the same time, as I walked down to Rose Lane Car Park, I started to think about the world that I am part of. This world. And the world of Jesus Christ. And you know, it put a spring in my step. Yeah. In fact, I started walking quicker. I'm sure if a police came by, they just thought I thought I was being followed. But you know, the fact is, I just felt good. I thought, and this is going to sound absolutely crazy. I always loved to go home. And Teresa was there. She didn't get on the stag night. But um, there we go. You know, she knows why. Uh, there's nothing personal, dear. You went the head night. Absolutely, we won't talk about the head night. You know, no mention of that. But however, I actually just wanted to get home. And the reason I wanted to get home was not because I was cold or I wanted a match a day. I just wanted to be in my home with my wife, which was the world I'm part of. I'm not of this world. And that's why people hate us. However sad that might be, and however we wish it might not be, that's why we are hated. We've been chosen. And that rankles people, you know. Some people, when they do find out about God and about Jesus, and they find out that you, any one of you, have got a deep relationship and a deep faith with them, that really gets up some people's noses. And rather than draw them in, can turn them away. We can be hated because of our close relationship. They don't know his name, either through ignorance or rejection. Either way, it's a challenge. Either way, it's a challenge. But then just look a little bit further on there. They will treat you this way because of my name. Ask yourself the question, can you bear to be hated? Can you bear to be hated? Think about it. Knowing that somebody might hate you, Someone you're close to suddenly turns on you. A friend who you thought was such a good friend, you've known him for years, but they turn on you. Whatever the reason is, and they declare that they hate you. It would almost be unbearable. And that's how it feels sometimes to be a Christian, to know that people out there don't like us. Again, I want to just say, that's not everybody. It's not everybody. So let's not go out there looking at everyone going, oh, I don't like you, you know. Yeah. We don't want to do that. Let's be wrong. But the thing that we can console ourselves with that is if we are hated, Jesus loves us. And wherever we go, Jesus walks alongside us. And Jesus empowers us through the Spirit to deal with it. As hard as it might be to deal with it. Because we have that choice. Do we love Jesus more than we love the world? Do we love Jesus more than we dislike being disliked or hated? Sometimes we have to put up or shut up. Yeah? Sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't come down to being people hating you. They might just laugh at you, which seems fairly harmless. But it hurts. I know it hurts, because I've heard people tell me that. And when they laugh at me, I just think, well, I am a bit of a comedian sometimes, so maybe that's why. But if they were laughing at my faith, how would I feel about that? I'll tell you how I feel about it. It hurt. It's not nice. But we have to stand up to it. But we don't stand up alone. We have the power of Jesus. We have Jesus Christ walking with us everywhere we go. And on top of that, we have each other. Years ago, when I first became a Christian, uh, the minister at Deerham, who uh, I was converted under, was Stanley Hall. Some of you may remember dear Stanley. A wonderful man. He's up there in my top five. He's a great man. He really, really was. But he said to me, you know, Chris, he said, as you go along in your walk, 
He said there's going to be places you can't go. You shouldn't go. There's going to be things that you should and shouldn't do. There's going to be things you shouldn't read. Things you shouldn't watch. Maybe even people you shouldn't hang around. Because they're not on the same path as you. They've not been called in the same way you've been called. In that same direction. You know better than them. You've just been surrounded by God's grace. And I've never forgotten that. Never forgotten that. At the time I thought he was talking a load of old gibberish. I really doubt. I thought, now I can merrily go on in the world and everything will be fine. But I know that Jesus has called me as he's called you. And with it comes the trials and the tribulations. And he warns them of this here. Okay? He warns them of it here. But let's look at the next section because I just think this is so wonderful. He then tells you why they're feeling like they are. It's not just they look at it and you go, hmm, don't like the look of your jib. Yeah, don't like some of the things you say. No, yeah, don't appeal to me at all. Christians, well, you're those people who worship Jesus, aren't you? You're those people who follow Jesus, you've got a relationship with him, and he doesn't even exist. And God, well, don't even get me going about God. You're a load of weirdos, really. The happy clappy brigade. Or whatever other term they want. Why do they say those things? Why is it then that can turn to hatred? I'll tell you why, because Jesus says this. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuses for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I did not done amongst them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But that's how it was going to be. He knew it. There was always going to be those people who wouldn't want to know him. But the more people are convicted. I find the India situation, I don't want to dwell on it too much because I'm not anywhere near an expert on it. But I did find listening to you this, this, this uh, evening when you were talked about it very briefly, uh, quite interesting really because here's this government who says they're going to rid India of Christianity by a day. Am I right? Yeah? Yeah, the one group who wants to. Why do they want to do it? Because they're frightened. They're fearful. It challenges them. Just the way Jesus challenged people. <coughs> Just the way he challenged the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And indeed many other officials. That challenge really grips people. And the only way they can deal with it is either admit we're wrong and we need to turn to Christianity. Or we've got to rid you from our presence. We've got to get you out of sight. Get you out of here. One way or the other. And it seems to me over time we aren't going anywhere. We're not going anywhere. We don't have to run. We don't have to hide. We need to support those who are in that situation. But we've got Jesus. We've got his calling on our lives. The Great Commission, the end of Matthew, to go out and make disciples of all the world and share the gospel with people. So he tells us very clearly why it's happening. So there's no point in any of us walking through life going, well, I don't know why they don't like me. I don't know why being a Christian upsets them so much. Jesus says exactly why. And the closer we are to living with him and walking with him and doing his will, doing his will, the more it will become obvious to people. And I'm afraid to say maybe with some, the less they'll like us. 
I feel sometimes like a Christian who, I've not hid my Christianity, but I wonder whether really I've declared it. And I'm not talking about preaching, I'm not talking about telling somebody about the gospel, I'm talking about the miracles that Jesus performed. The social good he did as well. How much have I been involved in that? Which really declares my faith and my belief in Jesus. And I'm working that one through. Working it through. But you know, through all of this difficulty that I've talked to you about tonight, for all of the truth in it, that we are going to be hated by some, because of him, he gives us great hope. Let's look at the last set of passages. 26. When the counsellor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, he goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. We were called once we were born, but we've been with Jesus right from the beginning. He knew our names before we were even born. Am I right? Absolutely. So this applies to us as well. Not just disciples. Yes, the disciples were from the beginning of his ministry. We, from the moment we gave our lives to Jesus, we fulfilled what he had in store for us. Did we? No, we started the journey. And we're still on that journey. But he is with us. He's with us and he has sent the Holy Spirit. I sometimes think, I can't do that. I can't do that. Um, you know I like to talk a lot, don't you? You know that, yeah. And uh, I like to think nowadays, I'll talk to everybody. I love talking to people. I love hearing their stories and socialising with people and, and just getting amongst people. I love it. But there was a time when you wouldn't get me to do that for love or money, even when I was a Christian. I would get out of every social engagement under the sun. I would do my best to clear out a church first. But that's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. We've got to be amongst each other, give ourselves strength. We've got to talk to the world because that's what Jesus wants us to do. And overcome any fears and doubts and any hatred that might be projected in our direction. Because we have Jesus and we have a job to do. And the closer we are to him, the more chance we've got. I've put down here, Jesus will be with you. God will watch out for you and the Holy Spirit will comfort, strengthen and empower you. And I absolutely believe those words. Absolutely. But I want to leave, uh, leave you on a really positive note. If I could find the note. Here it is. If you look at verse 16, uh, sorry, chapter 16, it's verse 1. I love this. Because we've got Jesus right the way through this discourse telling the disciples the things they need to know. And particularly after this one, which I think is one of the most difficult things to have to hear, you know? Because the disciples have followed him with such zeal, such relish, such love. And yet he's saying, by the way, you're going to be hated, you know, because of this. You're going to be hated. But he says this, all this I have told you so that you will not go astray. I don't want to lose you. When the going gets tough, I don't want to lose you. I love you too much. I don't want to lose you. So I need to tell you these things. I know that's probably on the pastor's mind as well. Not any pastor, but maybe yourself as well. There are hard things you have to tell people. But why? Because I don't want to lose you. You need to know the hard stuff as well as the good stuff, the easy stuff. You know, without being too, I don't know, basic about it, 
There's lots of stuff in the Bible which is lovely to hear about. The healings, you know, the people coming to Jesus. It's great. It's so encouraging. But there's some tough stuff in there as well. Stuff that's not pleasant to hear. But it's all there for a reason. And the tough stuff about telling them what the future was going to hold for them. But hey, don't worry, because I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. Had to be told. And he says at the end, I'm telling this so that you will not go astray. Because I don't want to lose you. I love you. And I'll love you to the end. Hmm. One thing that made me think about, you know we talk about this um, thing about being a living sacrifice to God. And I'm going to conclude with this. A living sacrifice. My life is a living sacrifice to God. I'm his to do with whatever he wants. Here's a way you can test it. But am I prepared to die for him? I would suggest if our lives are not a living sacrifice, it's going to be tough if we have to die for him. If we can't do it in a living way, and the time comes when we may be persecuted and have to die for him, will we be up to it? It's a tough challenge, isn't it? And what's that led me to conclude is, is I need to move on. I need to throw my life into this even more, more deeply than before. And wherever I've had shortcomings in the past, I've got to try and overcome them. I won't be perfect, I'll never be perfect, none of us ever will be. But this life that I put down as a sacrifice for God, there's more to give and I need to start giving it. Because if the day comes when I'm called to give my life for him, and I hope it doesn't happen in the way that it happens with some people, that's going to be testing. But I do believe the more I'm a sacrifice to him in my life now, it may be less difficult if that time comes.